Well, good morning. It's good to be with you as we watch our children go back there. And thank them again for what they did, guys, and singing. I appreciate that. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles up this morning to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And we're going to walk through a, a familiar passage to many of you this morning. And uh, I'm going to deal with the issue of, of what it means to be a godly man. What does it mean to be a godly man? And just kind of walk through, the, th- through that passage with us. It was a while back, um, gosh, probably about, about two years ago, I, was, I got really frustrated with, with a lot of the young men I, I saw uh, at Men at Liberty. I just I thought, man, where's the training of what it means to be a man, to stand up and do the right thing and all this kind of stuff? So I was asked to speak one time in campus church, and so I was praying about this, and I was reading John 11, and God began to bring these, these and thank you guys so much, I was bringing, I, I was, uh, um, uh, God just kept bringing these characteristics of Christ out, and I thought, what better example to be a godly man than Christ himself, right? So that's what I wanted to do today. I'm going to take a moment, it's going to take me a little bit to read this with you, but what I want us to do is read this, and then I want us to take the time and just kind of take some of the characteristics we see out of the chapter. John chapter 11, begin reading in verse 1. It says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but to the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews have sought to stone you and are going, and are you going to go there again? Remember that. We'll come back to that in a little while. And Jesus answered and said, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone who walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. Obviously, he was dead. And the disciples said, And Lord, he's, he's, you know, if he sleeps, he'll get well. And Jesus spoke, to his, spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And Jesus said to them, Plainly, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die for him. Doesn't that sound like the way a guy would respond? Yeah, let's go. Let's find something to, you know, yeah. (laughs) Let's get our trucks and go, you know. Take our tree stands with us. Yeah, all right. Anyway. So when he said, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined him, uh, the woman around Mary, Martha and Mary, to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, and yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose and quickly came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and uh, and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him and fell to his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, the Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who had opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? And then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha said, said, said uh, uh, the sister whom was dead said to him, Lord, but this time there will be a stench. She'll stink, you know, the, for, because of the decay. And he, he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, I did, not, did not I say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe you who sent me. Now, when he had, he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said, loose him. And let him go. Set him free. A few years ago, my, my daughter, Dana, my oldest daughter, and I'll have her sometime come here and share her testimony with the church. Uh, Dana, I often say that she's the best preacher in the family. And she may very well be that, trust me. But she was uh, speaking for a graduation thing down in, in North Carolina a few years ago. And she made a statement that I thought was kind of interesting. She, she was talking about, she was looking at these graduates, these young graduates, and she, she kind of went off course for a moment and spoke to the young men that are there. And this is what she said. She said, and I want to speak to you young men who are here. She said, I'm, I, at that, that time, Dana was probably 24, 25 years old. She said, you know, I'm 24, 25 years old. I'm looking for a husband someday. But she said, here's the problem I'm finding. She said, she said you know, she said, I'm looking for a spiritual John Wayne. And she said, here's your problem, guys. Have you ever seen that movie, True Grit? She gave that example. She said, it's, it's, it's kind of like, she said, the big scene in True Grit is when John Wayne puts the, the reins between his teeth and he starts riding across this field and he's taking care of everybody while the lady sits back in the back and he's being protective and all those things and doing it. She said, here's your problem. You're putting us on the horse, sending us across the field, you know, to die while you're sitting back here playing video games. 
I thought, amen. I had a girl tell him, you're right. You're right. Listen to me, guys. I know that some of you here are single moms. So please understand, I'm not, I'm not, it's not that I'm not speaking to all of us, because I am. I'm speaking to every person here. But we need strong families. And we need strong dads. We need strong men. I mean, do you realize, guys, that that on an average Sunday, 61% of those who attend church are female, only 39% male. Do you realize only one in six on any given Sunday will regularly, of men will regularly attend church? The statistics are astonishing, and I'm going to give you some things later on as we go through this. But what I want to do is give you several characteristics this morning of what a godly man should be. And we do, we're going to take that directly from who Jesus was. Number one, if, you want, if you're taking notes, here it is. Jesus knew where he was going. Now, think about this. When Jesus heard that he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified, what did Jesus do? Jesus knew where he was going. He knew exactly what was going on, guys. I mean, you, several places in Scripture. You look at John 4. Jesus knew when he went into Samaria. He knew why he was going there. Here's my question, guys. Do you work a job or do you have a vision? Do you understand the calling that God has placed upon your life, men? To be spiritual leaders in our culture, in the church, in our homes. To lead. That's what we're called to be. I'm so tired of hearing young men. I, I've, I've, guys, I've been in ministry 35 years. I've done hundreds of, of weddings. And I've heard this so often in marriage counseling. Well, I'll, I'll let my wife do the spiritual part of this. And I'll take care of everything else. That's baloney. If you're not taking care of the spiritual part of this, you'll never understand the rest of this. It's the truth. We need godly men to stand up in our culture. I'm not saying we don't need godly moms, because we do. But if you're a single mom in this church, and, and, and you're looking for that, 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 that someone to help and be that godly man in your, 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 the life of your children, you should find that within this church where men will stand up. My father was that way. I can name person after person after person after person after person. I, I remember being at a good friend of mine's wedding, and his dad walked up to my dad and told him, he says, John, had you not been in Kenny's life, I don't know where he would have been. His mother tried to commit suicide over and over again. Both of his parents were alcoholics. Kenny now is a multimillionaire. He used to sit with my dad and, 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 and talk with him for hours at a time. Kenny was a deacon in his church. Raymond whose mom and dad would never go to church anywhere. But yet, my dad became that kind of leader. Raymond's father eventually got saved when he was 72. Because I wonder how many people sitting in this church, how many of those kids who just went back there, that are coming here with somebody else that need a spiritual leader in their home, I mean, in their life. They need someone to put a hand on their shoulder and say to them, I will be that person. We need godly men to stand up and be those people. The truth is, my brothers, if you don't know where you're headed, no one else will either. And for all you young guys out here who think the end of studness is simply to, you know, to, to talk a certain way and act a certain way and be cocky as you can be, let me tell you something. You know, you need to respect women. You need to respect them and treat them as God would have you to treat them. 
I watched my, my dad, I mean, I watched my grandfather when he was 83, 84 years old open the door for my grandmother and hold her like she was a fine piece of china. Let me tell you what I told my daughter. I said, sweetheart, if that guy comes and picks you up and he don't open your door, you walk right back in the house and say, when you grow up, you can, you can date me until then go home. Well, nobody does that anymore. That's the problem, guys. Problem, guys, we don't respect anybody or anything, much less ourselves or a relationship with God. We need to get along with God. We need to seek his face. It's time for us to get serious. Number two, Jesus knew who he was. In verse 25 and 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Who believes in me will shall never die. For Jesus and for us, it must be about the gospel. You see, we men tend to define ourselves based upon what we do. Come on, what does a guy say when he goes and talks to each other? We'll say, hey, man, what do you do, man? What do you do? Uh, sell real estate. No, uh, I'm, I'm a plumber. I'm an electrician. I just, I mean, I mean, seriously, it's funny to me. I love this sometimes. People come on and go, hey, preacher. I go, hey, construction dude. <laughs> hey, teacher guy, coach man. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, we're not defined by what we do. We're defined by who we are in Christ. He's the one who created us. We guys let ourselves be defined by what we do. It's not about that. It's who we are in him. And let me tell you something. When you find out who you are in him, you'll find out who you are supposed to be. We had a guy come, come to Liberty a couple years ago and he made a statement he, to, our, uh, to folks and it just, just made me cringe. He said, until you fall in love with yourself, you'll never know how to love God. I thought, really? Where do you get that from the Bible? But doesn't the Bible say to love God with all of your heart and mind and love your neighbor as yourself? We're at the bottom of that. You see, here's the deal. Until you learn to love God, you'll never learn to understand who you are. We have to learn that. He knew who he was. He knew it. He knew exactly who he was. I mean, come on. I mean, think about it. When Jesus talked to Zacchaeus, he said, he said, today is a day of salvation. You know, and he invited him to come to his house. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. John 10, he said, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. You know, sadly, some of us here, men and women, may have been told that you were nothing. Maybe someone told you one day that you'd never amount to anything. Let me say this to you, and I want to walk out here to say this. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. God doesn't make junk. God created you in his image. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Don't let anyone limit what God wants to do in your life. Don't let it. Don't let it become a self-fulfilling prophecy, prophecy where someone says, you're never going to do anything. You'll never make anything in your life. And also, don't be driven by hate when that happens. Be driven by Jesus. Seek him and let God do that in you. Seriously. Seriously, don't let anyone else define that. When I graduated high school, my high school counselor told me, he said, you know, your test scores, come on, how many of y'all hate those tests, those standardized tests you have to take? He said, your test score shows us that you'll never graduate from high school, you'll never graduate from college. You'll never be able to do anything else most than that. You need to just go do this. When I finished the PhD program, I called my mom. And I said, Mom, would you invite Coach Brown to my graduation? You know why? Yes, I had to read everything four or five times. Yes, I had to study it like crazy. And yes, I'm the most ADD human on the face of the earth. Yes, I read my first book when I got to seminary, finally, after I read one. 
But let me tell you something. When you let God dictate who you're going to be, and you refuse to let anybody else get in the way and let him make you what he wants you to be, that's when you'll have the greatest joy in life. It's the truth. I tell my students all the time, I say, guys, you're not here to find a job. You're here to fulfill a calling. You're called. Know who you are, guys. Number three, Jesus understood, the, the, understood real love. He, he says, therefore, the sister sent him. He says that he loved them. He loved them. He loved Mary, Martha. He loved Lazarus. You see, love has nothing to do with lust. Love has everything to do with trust. You know, the problem is, will you respond like David or Joseph? When David was faced, come on, when the thing happened with Bathsheba, and I'll probably talk about this later on sometime in another sermon, but when he faced that, David didn't just stumble upon that one day. He planned that. What kind of destroyed his life? What did Joseph do? When Joseph was put in that place, he ran because he wanted to do what was right. I think I, I remember when I was a kid and people started singing songs and they started perverting the concept of love to where love was based upon physical attraction. Love is based upon a deep commitment of the heart, not lust, but trust. You'll never have love without trust. Trust. You know what some of us guys do? We're scared to death to be loving because we're afraid that it'll make us not a man. We're afraid to tell people that we love them because we weren't raised that way. We think that's not what guys do. My father told me he loved me to the day he died. Literally, my last conversation I had with my dad, and he was a, my dad was as country as any guy sitting in this building. Trust me, if this is the number one moonshine capital of the world, Jackson County, Tennessee is number two, okay? <laughs> my father grew up, man, in the hills, but he knew how to tell you he loved you. Asked my wife how much she loved us. The last conversation I had with my dad, I said, I, I, I said, Dad, I love you. And he said, Son, I love you too. He didn't withhold his love. He shared that with us. Love is not about lust. It's about trust. It's not about what we get for us. It's about for him. Real men will never ask someone he loves to break. And I say this to the young guys here, to the young men here, but if, if you, if, Young ladies, if you're in a relationship with a young man who's asking you to do something that you know God doesn't want you to do, he doesn't love you. He's just lusting after you. A real man would never ask a woman that he loved to do anything that would break God's law. You understand what I'm saying? He never would. Never would. We need to understand what real love is. You know, you know, anyone can give in to lust, to hormones. Real love seeks the best for the other person, not the personal pleasure, especially at the expense of one's purity. Sacrifice is the key. In the back fact, the Bible says there's greater love have no man than he would die for someone else. Number four, Jesus could actually communicate. I know that's surprising. But you look at he had a conversation face to face with Mary and Martha. Many of us guys, we don't communicate very often. You know, it's kind of like what we do with love. It's kind of the way we treat people when we, we want them to know we love them. We, we, let, we let our actions speak for us. Well, you know what? You kind of see this from me, so we don't communicate. Come on. It's the truth. Guys, I'm not saying this. I don't want to tick anybody off here, so please understand this. But studies have shown for 30 years that women speak about two and a half times the amount of words per day than a guy does. 
And, you know, if you don't know, go to a restaurant, watch a table full of women, and their hands are going like this, and the guys are sitting there going, uh, I want coffee. <laughs> I'm serious. Guys can ride together in a car for four hours, burp twice, and that's a great communication. You know what I mean? We need to be able to, I'm just joking, but we need to be able to talk. We need to be able to share. We need to be able to tell people what we're thinking. We need to be able to ex- explain that. Guys, we need to be able to have those conversations. You know, let me tell you something. When my, when my daughter got married, I wanted her to know how much I loved her. And we're sitting back there waiting to go down the aisle. And I'm on one of those guy moments where I'm like, do I say anything? What do I say? You know, that kind of thing. And it's just, I just looked at her and said, Dana, I just want you to know how much I love you, how proud I am of you. She said, Dad, you can't cry. I said, too late. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. We need to be able to express ourselves, guys. We need to be able to say what we think and, yes, even what we feel. I mean, two guys would never go up and go, hey, how are you feeling? Would you ask me? (laughs) Guys, don't do that. I mean, seriously, it's it's just, it's interesting. I mean, like my, you know, I'll I'll go golfing with my buddies and Debbie will say, what y'all talk about? Uh, I mean, see, I, 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 I went with Tony. And she say, Debbie say, how's Tony doing? He's doing fine. Uh, how's Brenda doing? She's doing fine. Did she ask you anything about me? Yeah. What'd you say? I said, you're doing fine. That's <laughs> <laughs> guys. But sometimes we need to be able to dig deep and express what we're, who we are. We need to be able to say that. You know, I mean, I'm such a guy that when my my dad died, the way I dealt with it was I wrote a chapter for a a book I later did, and and I put a, a, for SBC Life, I I wrote an article for Father's Day, just a thing to my dad. My sister took it and laminated it and stuck it to my dad's uh, gravestone because I just wanted to write out everything I was sensing and feeling. But guys, we need to say and be able to communicate we need to be able to talk to others. We need, Jesus could talk to them. How about this? Jesus understood true humility, not pompous male arrogance. Come on, what, did, what happened here? Thomas, he says, yeah, let's, let's go up there with Jesus and we'll just, we'll just we'll kick them, man. We'll, we'll beat them. Yeah, they come after Jesus, but we're after them. Don't that sound like a bunch of guys? Yeah, let's go find a fight. Yeah, yeah, bring a bat. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll tackle them and you, I mean, no, 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 that's not what it is. You know, it's not pompous male arrogance. Listen to me, guys. My father was the most influential man in my life. And he was because he was the strongest man I ever knew. He wasn't strongest physically. That wasn't the issue. You just got it. He had a strength that you couldn't pay for. You couldn't even teach. He just got it. On the surface, my dad didn't seem like he was a very deep man. But when you got past the crust, it was there. My father tried to tell me on many occasions, David, your, your pride is going to kill you. 
It almost did. There was a time years ago that I almost lost my family because of my pride. Because pride can be a good thing if it's in the right thing. But when it's us puffing out our chest and trying to be like some bainy rooster, going to go fight, or because we always have to be right. No. Thomas is not our example. Jesus is. Jesus wasn't there to point the finger to himself. He was there to point the finger to his father. That's what our lives should be about. Number six, Jesus had the capacity to relate to hurting people. Don't you love what he says? The shortest verse in the Bible, it simply said he wept. He wept. Come on, you ever wonder what that verse means? Why did Jesus weep? I mean, come on, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus. What did he have to weep over? He wept because the people around him wept. It's okay to feel. It's okay to hurt. In fact, you'll never learn to minister or until we learn to empathize with other people. Not just recognize the need and address it and fix it. That's what we guys do. But to learn empathy. 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 You know, one of the greatest pictures I've ever seen of empathy was when my youngest daughter, Kara, the day after she was born, we were at the um, hospital and and this young couple walked in. They said to us, they said, hey, uh, uh, can we sit down and talk for a minute? Be honest with you, I just left Kara's nursery. She was barely 24 hours old. She was about this big, just a little, I'm as small as she could be. I was scared to death. I was worn out. I was emotionally shot. She, they said, can we talk to you? And we sat down for a moment, and I was kind of out of it. And they looked at me, and they said, well, we prayed for you at church today. And I said, thank you. I appreciate that. They said, when we got out to our car, we knew we had to come see you. I thought, okay. I thought, why? And they began to tell us that, you know, the, the, uh, what happened. And the lady was sitting there. When she sat down, she reached inside of her purse. And she pulls out this little beanie. And it was the same little beanie that my, my daughter was wearing in the nursery. They put them on all the premature children to keep their he- heads warm. And, and I thought, where'd she get that? And she looked at me and she said, Mr. Wheeler, we, we had to come see you. They, they paid for their own gas coming down there. They paid for their own parking. They just took the chance. And they, they missed lunch just so they could come down and see us, the family. And they walked in, and the husband and wife, and they looked at us and they said, we knew we had to come see you because six years ago, there was a little blonde-headed girl that was right down here. She said, six years ago, we were in the same nursery. Our daughter was almost the same size, and we know what you're thinking. You're thinking your child's never going to go home and never going to be able to function, not going to be able to live, and you're scared to death to love her because you're afraid if you do it, the loss will hurt you more. I thought, how did you been reading my mail? <laughs> That's exactly right. When I stood up, I'll never forget this, that little girl walked around the corner and grabbed hold of me and held on to me, and I broke down like a little child. When I closed my eyes, it was like I was hugging Kara six years later. One of the most powerful moments of my life. When it says Jesus wept, what the phrase literally means is that he was so connected with the people around him that he could not help it, that the emotion flew out of him, that he wept because they were hurting. 
and he sensed it. He wasn't looking for an escape. He wasn't looking for a way to get out of it. He was simply staying there with them in the middle of that and loving them, and he wept with them. Guys, it's okay to weep. It's okay to to feel. It's okay. How about this? Jesus manifested the power of righteousness of God in the righteousness of God in his daily life. If you look at what happened in verses 39 to 44, look what he did. He took command of that. He said, don't worry, I'm the resurrection of the life. He said earlier that, he said, now, come on, roll the stone away and, and Lazarus comes forth out of the tomb. I mean, come on, unlike men today, Jesus is willing to embrace this responsibility as a spiritual leader. Think about this. This came from a book called Why Men Hate Church. So women are 100% more likely to be involved in discipleship, 57% more likely to participate in adult Sunday school, 56% more likely to hold a position not pastor in church, 54% more likely to participate in a small group, 46% more likely to disciple others, 39% more likely to have a quiet time, 33% more likely to volunteer for a church, 29% more likely to read their Bible, 29% more likely to attend church, 29% more likely to share their faith with others, 23% more likely to donate to church, and 16% more likely to pray. We need spiritual leaders in our homes. Men, we need to stand up and take responsibility of being those leaders in our families and our homes. We need to, needs to start now. Now. And finally, Jesus was a man of great courage. If you read what happened to him after this, it tells us, that the rabbis, the religious rulers, they sought to seek to kill Jesus because when Jesus brought Lazarus out of the tomb, the, the word of Jesus spread so much that they literally wanted to kill him. If you remember at the very first part of this, I, I pointed out to you guys that one of them said, hey, why are we going to go back there? They're already seeking to kill you. But this made it even more. But Jesus had such courage that he walked right in the middle of the eye of the tiger and, and, and to the fangs of the snake. He walked right in the middle of the trouble because he knew that's where he was supposed to be. He was a man of great courage. We need men of courage. There's a guy named Nick, Nick Ripkin. He wrote a book called The Persecuted Church for, for International Mission Board. He was at Liberty about a year and a half ago, and he brought something up that I want to point out to you. He gave us some statistics that I thought were interesting. He said when it comes to different trips of sending people across the world, he said women are three, three uh, he said the, for short-term trips, for every three women, one guy will go. For long-term workers overseas, for every seven women, one guy will go. For long-term workers in the toughest and most dangerous places in the world, for every 10 women, one guy will go. We need some John Waynes. We've absolved our responsibility. Let me say this too. There was a study done a few years ago in Switzerland. I'm going to close with this, but and they were basically looking to see what influenced a person's religious life most. And what they found out was dynamic. They didn't, they didn't expect this. You know, what one single factor, you know, impacted a person's religious life the most or whether they were connected with the church. Here's what it says. This result is dynamic. There's one critical factor that came out of this. It's overwhelming, and it is this. It is the religious practice of the father of the family that matters the most. <laughs> 
If both father and mother attend church regularly, 33% of the children will end up as regular churchgoers, and 41% will end up as attending irregularly. If the father is, a non-practicing, is non-practicing and the mother is regular, only 2% of children will become regular worshipers, and 37% will, will, will go irregularly. Over 60% of their children will be lost completely from the church. But here it is. In short, if a father does not go to church or is not involved in this faith, no matter how faithful his wife's devotion, only one child in 50 will become regular worshipers when they grow old. If a father does, does go regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers regular and irregular. The bottom line is this, that we have a major problem here. You see, if fathers are to be most effective in leading and standing in the gap for their families, they need to be sitting in the pews on Sundays and leading the rest of the week. Why would I preach this message today after Vacation Bible School? Because it impacts the very heart and soul and core of where we are as families. Like I said, it's not that this was not preached to young women here or to single moms here because it should be. If you're a young woman, one day ladies, guess what? You're going to be looking for a guy. You are. You're going to hopefully be looking for a guy to marry one day. Hopefully you'll take that list and if you don't check off on that list, tell them to go home and grow up. I'm serious. I preached this in, convoca- I preached this in our, our campus church. We had over 500 young men come to the altar that night. And you know what was interesting was, was to watch how many of them over the next few days broke up with their girlfriends. I had girls coming across, across campus going, Dr. Wheeler, my, my boyfriend broke up with me last night. I said, why? She said, he said, until he could become that man, I, needed, I deserve better. I had young women coming to me and says, they told their boyfriends, when you become that man, you come find me. Until then, No. So for all the young ladies here who aren't married, I'm going to say this to you. That's a good shopping list, isn't it? You wouldn't go shopping in the grocery store without knowing what you're looking for, right? Because you might find what you don't need. Come on, think about this. When you go shopping when you're hungry, you buy too much, don't you? You know, my daughter, don't tell her I said this. She got married at 28 years old. I was beginning to wonder if she would ever get married and if we would ever be able to have grandkids one day. But I will say this to you unequivocally, and you can tell them to listen to this sermon. I'm so thankful for who she married. I'm so thankful she waited because she found a godly man. She found a man who, 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 who compliments her spiritually. Who's trying to live out those values. He's an old country boy, man. He raises beagle hounds. He drives a front-end loader with his dad. So, I mean, trust me, you can't get any more grounded than, than Chris because that's what he does. So I'm not asking you guys here to become non-men. I'm asking you to become more of a man. I'm asking you to seriously look at where you are spiritually. I'm asking you, us as families to really look at where we are. Come on, how many of us know a young person who came last week at vacation Bible school that doesn't have much support at home? And we need to reach out to them and touch them. How many of us here are struggling Come on, guys. It's time we stand up and do the right thing. I'm going to ask here in a moment, get ready for the invitation if y'all want to come on up. 
I'm going to ask here in a moment that we go ahead. I'm going to ask that uh, the men of this church would be willing to step to this altar. Let's pray together. If you want to do that and then go back and gather around your family, you do that. If you're a single mom here and you'd like for us to pray over you and pray for your family, I want you to know this church loves you, cares for you. Maybe, maybe your, your spouse doesn't go to church and we want to pray over them and pray for them. I'm just going to ask you this morning, right now, just, just pray about what it is God would have you to do for you and your family. Guys, when you look at that list, where are you? When we compare ourselves to who we're supposed to be in Christ, where are we? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. This morning, just right now, guys, men, just take a moment here. And I'm going to invite you to come to this altar, both old and young. Because I believe with all my heart that God will start a revival in our families, in our communities. It's first going to start in the home. The problem with our nation, guys, is the, the solution to our nation is not going to be in Washington. The solution to our nation is going to be found in the church. And ultimately, the solution to the church will be found in the homes. So I'm going to ask us this morning, for all the guys here, to just take a step out. Is God speaking to your heart for the kind of man you need to be for your family, for your children? For the young men here, what kind of man do you need to become in order to one day be that husband, be that father? For others of you, if you're struggling in your family, we want to pray with you and pray for you because we love you. This week, Vacation Bible School is all about family. All about family. Father, in Jesus' name right now, I ask you, Lord, that you would just take this time and that you would lead this invitation and draw us to you. I pray you'll touch each heart of every man here that we would be godly men for you for your glory. Walk with us now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. Come on. I'm play. Would you just play for us, please? It's calling you out today. I'm going to ask you men to come. Come on. Come on, guys. Come on. Come on, men. Let's gather around here in front of this, and let's pray together. Be those dads that we need to be, those grandparents, grandfathers we need to be. If you see a young man coming, why don't you come pray over him? Some of you older men, come, come on. You pray over some of these younger fathers and lift them up and pray over them and ask God to take them in their homes and bless them and use them as spiritual leaders. Come on. Come on, guys, right now. Some of you senior adult men who've been doing this a while, come pray for these young fathers. Lift them up. Guys, the core of our nation is about the family. That's the core of the church. That's the core of, of who we are. If you want to know why we've lost it in our nation, it's because we've lost it in the home. Ladies, it's not that I'm not going to challenge you at some point in the future, because I will. <laughs> you know? 
But it's a little easier for me to talk about fatherhood because I've experienced that one. I can tell you all my shortcomings and everything else, and I guarantee you, I know my wife can. But I want her and my kids to know how much I love and care for them. If God's going to start a revival, it's going to start in the home. Come on, guys. What's God speaking to you? What's he saying to you? What's he telling you? What's it mean to be like the man Christ wants us to be? What's it mean? You Christ, your personal Savior, or maybe you came to Christ in vacation Bible school and you'd like to make that from the church, you come right now too as well. Come on, guys. Men, if you still want to come and pray, you come. But if you'd like to join the church, whatever it may be, you come right now.